0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I am your host. And on today's episode, I'm excited to be catching up with Hannah Simon. She's just back from the Colorado Trail. And by now, I am sure you are all familiar with Hannah and her quest to take on bikepacking's greatest challenge, the Bikepacking Triple Crown, all within a calendar year. So far, she's completed the Tour Divide, and she just completed the Colorado Trail Race. And then next up, she'll be taking on the Arizona Trail Race 800, starting in about a month from now. If you haven't been following along, this is actually the third installment in this series with Hannah. She's agreed to take us along her journey as she takes on this challenge. And so if you haven't already, I recommend you going back and listening to the first two episodes in this series. The first one is episode 150 where we talk with Hannah just days before taking off on the Tour Divide. And then the second episode is episode 155, when we catch up with Hannah after the Tour Divide, but right as she's in the mix of having to quickly pivot to get ready and train for the Colorado Trail Race, which is where we pick up with Hannah today. This time we meet at Cycle East, and that is actually where today's conversation begins because the owner of Cycle East, Russell, announced just last week that they would be closing Cycle East after 10 years in business, and Hannah is the general manager there. So today we start off today's conversation with a brief talk about what's going on with Cycle East, and also just kind of about like where uh, local bike shops are at large in today's cycling economy. And and then, of course, we get straight into bikepacking goodness, talking about her Colorado Trail this year and, of course, looking forward to the Arizona Trail Race. Somewhat related to Hannah's Triple Crown efforts, Hannah cut her teeth at the East Texas Showdown. She's won it a handful of times, and that is where she started to develop a passion for and an interest in bikepack racing. It's also where she learned that, hey, she's pretty darn good at this stuff. And I mentioned that because registration for the 2024 East Texas Showdown opened up yesterday. And I'm happy to report that Hannah has also signed up. So we are very much looking forward to having her back at the East Texas Showdown. I've also seen a lot of familiar faces signing up, which is really exciting. If you would like to join Hannah and I and a bunch of my friends in East Texas for what I might say is a really damn good bike event, I've got some details for you. The East Texas Showdown, that's gonna be on March 22nd to 24th of 2024 and registration opened for it yesterday we have 240 spots available that's all there is we are limited by registration by insurance by space so we've maxed out the facility we've maxed out everything to be able to offer 240 spots when i started recording this we had a we had sold out 171 which means da, 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 we have 69 spots left and uh, if you hurry, you might be able to get one of them. So uh, you can find registration at the link in the bio. You can find it at bikereg.com or you can go to texasshowdownseries.com and find all the information there. Uh, It is a great, great, great time, and it is a great time because of this great community. I absolutely love this event, but it's not because of anything that I do. It's because of the great, the amazing, the wonderful people that come. They bring their stoke. They bring their good energy. They bring their good vibes, and I just cannot tell you how much it means to me to be able to host this event and to provide people the space to be able to congregate to play bikes to have fun to share stories and that's really what this event is all about and so if you are a person who is never done a bikepacking trip before. If you've never done a bikepacking event or done a bikepacking race, the East Texas Showdown is absolutely designed for you. It's also designed as a place for people who want to stretch their legs and see how fast they can go and see how far they can push themselves. And what we're really trying to accomplish here is bring everybody together, whether you're looking to go slow and smell the roses or pet the dogs, or whether you're looking to go fast with no sleep Uh, and and get chased by all the dogs, you know, no matter what motivates you, no matter where you're at in your own cycling journey, your bikepacking journey, this event is is absolutely designed for you. We have three options. We have the lowdown, which is 165 miles. It's not even a race. We don't time you. Uh, nobody cares if you go fast. It's just about having fun. Uh, we have a designated campsite where we'll have refreshments, AKA beer, a bonfire, and you know we'll just hang out and have a good time and ride bikes. It's great. Uh, and then from there, you can go up to the 280 mile version. That's the slowdown, and that's mixed bag between a race and just a ride. We like to celebrate uh, people for being the best dressed or bringing the best energy or taking the best picture. Uh, But we also celebrate the people that go the fastest. And then you can step up to the showdown, which is 400 miles in East Texas. And it features the infamous death loop, which basically means that you ride 340 miles. You pass the bullet grill, which is, which is the start and finish line, and then you have to ride another 60 miles in a loop, and then you get to finish. And it really is torturous, and it's great from a, a spectator point of view, and it's just a great little mental challenge too, a little mental fuckery uh, from your friends over here at Bikes for Death. Uh, So anyway, if any of that sounds like a good time to you, you can find out more, uh, again, check out the show notes. We got 69 spots left and I'd love to see you there. And now a quick word from our sponsors. And today's episode is also brought to us by a new advertising partner and one that I'm really excited about. That's electric e-bikes. And if you haven't heard of electric before, they are the fastest growing e-bike company in the nation, and they are competing to be among the top electric transportation vehicles next to Tesla. And I don't know about you, but I personally have been e-bike curious for a very long time. So I was excited when they reached out to me and about six weeks ago, they sent me one of their e-bikes. They sent me the XP 3.0 and I'm absolutely loving it. It is so much fun to ride. This is my first time ever owning an e-bike. I've ridden a couple just briefly a couple times before, but this is my first time to really own one and I am absolutely in love. It makes quick trips to the store super fun, not a chore. For it all. I actually look forward to it. And not only that, but all my friends and my family are enjoying riding it too. It's adjustable all the way to fit me all the way down to my 13 year old daughter. My five foot tall mom has ridden it. I'm, and, and I'm having everybody ride it because it's so much fun. And honestly, I think it's a great way to introduce other people to bikes. Another great thing about this bike is it's super functional. It comes with built-in headlights and taillights, and it's got lots of options for mounting racks or baskets or kid hauling it is super functional and it really is helping me find more and more ways to find alternative methods of transportation other than my car, which is something that I love. And I'm sure that you love and appreciate that too. The other great and functional thing about this bike is the price. The XP 3.0 is only $999. It has a top speed of up to 28 miles an hour and it has pedal assisted or just full throttle. So you don't even have to pedal. You can just crank the handle and the range is crazy it gets anywhere from 40 up to 150 miles on one single charge I have yet to charge the battery on mine I'm curious to see how many miles I can get on it so I'll have to report back but suffice it to say I am an absolute fan I am bummed that it took me this long to get an e-bike but now that it's in my life I absolutely love it and if you're interested in checking out their great range of e-bikes I recommend you head over to electricebikes.com to learn more and to explore the epic models Electric has to offer. That's electricebikes.com, L-E-C-T-R-I-C, ebikes.com. All right, and today's episode is also brought to us by AG1. I started taking AG1 at the intersection of wanting to take better care of my body and repeatedly hearing about other people who I look up to recommend it. As a single father of two girls and a business owner, my time is both limited and valuable. I take AG1 in a daily smoothie to take advantage of its 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens it's a quick convenient and easy micro habit to form that supports my immune system and my fitness goals so if you're looking for a simple and cost-effective way to boost your health and fitness ag1 is making it easy for you ag1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase All you got to do is visit ag1.com forward slash bikes or death or smash the link in the show notes. Again, that is ag1.com forward slash bikes or death to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, ching, ching, ching. The bills have been paid and now it is time to get to my chat with Hannah Simon. Uh, one quick note on this episode, this was our second attempt at recording this one. Uh, the first time I drove all the way down to Austin a couple weeks prior and wound up, uh, canceling our interview. Um, and it has to do with my own personal mental health journey. And while this has really nothing to do with the podcast or bikes or whatever, but, um, One thing I am aware of and I try to do when appropriate and when it makes sense is to just be an authentic person. And I think that one nice thing about podcasting and the long form format of it and the relatively unedited format of it is that you can really get to know um, people, their struggles, their passions, their heartaches, their successes what drives them, how do they do X, Y, or Z. And to me, I've gained a lot of value as I listen to podcasts, when I hear other people that are going through stuff. And so the first part of this uh, podcast is me talking to Hannah about why I wasn't able to uh, follow through with our commitment to do the interview the first time we had it scheduled. Um, And I wasn't planning on airing it, but again, you know, I figure it's good to hear from other people. We all have days uh, where mental health is easy, and sometimes it's not as easy. And for me, it's been something I've dealt with for, oh, geez, the last 30 years, uh, maybe, maybe 29 years. I'm rounding up there, but uh, it's been something that I've dealt with for a long time, and I'm still on that journey. And uh, for what it's worth, I decided to leave that in at the very beginning. Uh, but we quickly get into our chat uh, about all things bikes and about Hannah's journey, to complete the bike packing triple crown all right so let's get into it but first let's have miles arbor kick it off with the bikes for death theme song you load up
1: your bike you ride away from home you could be with your friends or you could be alone you ride for a day or maybe more you just love being in the great outdoors everything you need Bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus And then you think, oh shit to yourself You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf Bikes oh,
0: death Bikes oh, 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 death Podcast Check, check, check
2: How's Hello. it going, Hannah? Doing well.
0: Good. No intro. Let's just go.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Hit the ground running, huh? <laughs>
0: uh, I do want to, uh, I want to take a minute to explain my poor behavior last time.
3: Oh, okay. If you want. Uh, you don't well, owe me I any just, explanation. I'm being
0: a little dramatic. But,
3: uh, <laughs> Your poor behavior. <laughs>
0: I'm being all the way dramatic. So I uh, I take SSRIs for social anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, which is something i battled since I was basically 14 and like gone through puberty. And, um, so I decided recently that I was going to try to like wean myself off of them with my doctor's help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I did and I felt like shit, but the thing is about social anxiety is like, I can't give in to that fear, you know? Mm. And so I was like, it never even occurred to me to not do the interview. I was like, I have to do it. You can't, not do it just because you like don't feel good that's how you feed into these bad habits and patterns of social anxiety so uh, I like never even thought about canceling the interview until like 15 minutes before and then something else occurred to me and that's that I made a promise to myself recently that I would try really hard not to produce bad episodes (laughs) (laughs) I produced one not too long ago it wasn't yours Uh, that like I was like, man, that wasn't very good, you mm-hmm. know? And it really like sat with me. I'm like, I need to like take this more seriously. I need to prepare better. I need to be in the right frame of mind and do everything I can. And once I like looked through through that lens, I was like, I'm, I was so fucked mentally. Like I had so bad brain fog. I couldn't, I don't think I could have like been here present in an interview and like talk to you. Mm-hmm. And so that's ultimately why I was like, I think it would be better just to not do it for the sake of this conversation, the podcast. But, um, anyway, that's my story.
2: Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I think, you know, when I got that call from you, I also had had a crazy day and wanted to express to you that it's totally fine with me if we need to reschedule because for, for the same reason, it's like you don't want to do something halfway and then be upset that you did that later on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like what I said in the last podcast when we talked about like, have you rested enough to do your best work um, instead of have you worked hard enough to rest? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate you being honest with me. I think it'll work out better for everyone.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's much healthier to be honest, like with trying to be honest with myself. Mm-hmm. And and then, I'll, you know, yeah, it, it was a multi-layered process where one... I don't wanna give into anxiety and fear mm-hmm. and let that be a controlling and dominating force in my life. And then two, it's like, no, I made a promise and a commitment to myself, to the podcast, to my listeners, to my guests, to show up ready and present and in a good place to be able to talk, which I'm at today. Yeah. So Yeah, Yay. appreciate it.
4: hmm of
0: course. Uh, well, can we start out by talking about uh, the latest news with Cycling Cycle East? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, Russell announced recently that uh, the shop was going to be closing after, I believe, 10 years of being in business. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the general manager, and so I don't want you to speak on behalf of Russell, but to the degree that you feel comfortable, I mean, can you just, you know, fill us in on like what's going on and what... Uh, what what the future looks like, maybe?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually I had thought about that because if we had recorded our podcast when we said we were going to, it would have been the day before we announced uh, that we were closing. So it would have been a very different podcast and I would have had to figure out how to talk about it without talking about it because um, we hadn't told the world yet. Um, yeah, so... You know, it's, it's one of those things that um, we've been, we've been talking about um, the state of the shop um, for a while. Um, We've been brainstorming ideas for how things can change, how we can improve. um, And it's just been an ongoing conversation, especially, you know, in the last three years, like. I don't even remember what it's like to run a bike shop not in the pandemic. Um, and so we've, we've gone through a lot of changes. And um, I think most recently, like here just in the last couple of months, um, we have just been feeling a lot of that um, exhaustion Um, when I say we, it's, it, it really is kind of everyone that works for our shop. Um, Russell shared whenever he announced it, that, um, it's been a couple years for him that he's been feeling pretty burnt out. Um, I would say that it's been a little shorter time for me, but I, I started feeling burnt out and then it's been most recent that I can feel it from, from our employees too. Um, and I think a lot of it stems from us being open half of the time, that time exists. <laughs> I like, like had that moment like a year or so ago. Like it, it like fifty percent of the time cycle Spike Shop is open.
0: Yeah, as far as like daylight hours or like waking mm-hmm. hours essentially. Yeah. yeah.
2: Seven AM to seven PM, seven days a week.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: and what I've always said is that it it gives it there's, that's a lot of time and that's also a lot of time for things to go wrong. Um, for a ball to be dropped for a customer, for an order to not go through, for a bike to not get worked on. Um, so it's it's both um, the one of the harder things about this shop and it's also one of our favorite things. Um, and Russell talks about that a little bit too. It's like Sunday morning, 7 a.m., I have like made so many people's day just being here, whether it's to fix a flat or to swap out an access battery or whatever else. It's like, there's, there is no other shop that's open. Um, But there's a reason for that. (laughs) So that's like kind of the root of it. Um, And I think we um, just, you know, Russell and I sat down and and we talked about each person that we employ. We, um, you know, we said to ourselves, like, it, are are we the best option for everyone? Like, is this the best place that everyone could be? And we realized that everyone could do even greater and, and more enjoyable things. Um, and so, you know, we started the process of talking to everybody about it. Um, and, you know, especially since the announcement, I think it's come, uh, become very clear um, with how much support we've had, um, that it is, that it it's true that, um, it's kind of like I've been comparing it to like a breakup um, where like it's really sad um, and it's hard for a while, but it ends up being the best um, for everyone involved um, usually. So, um, yeah.
0: I think that's a great perspective to have and something I I feel like I'm always continually trying to remind myself and just recently it's been at the forefront of my mind Mm -hmm. and it's the idea that like hard things and challenges and even failures don't really have to be hard things and challenges and failures. They Mm -hmm. can be opportunities to pivot, to learn a new skill, to grow in a different area, to form new relationships, whatever it may be. But I'm 43 now and I've seen this pattern repeat itself over and over and over again where, you know, things go wrong. And then you're like, oh my gosh, my life is infinitely better than it was a year ago or five years ago or whatever. And so I think that's a great perspective. It doesn't have to be a sad thing. And it sounds like obviously obviously a lot of thought and consideration was put into this and russell actually called me personally which i really appreciated prior and like let me know and uh this is a not a decision that i know came lightly i'm wondering i don't want to um use this opportunity to like blame anyone Hmm. but i i do wonder if there's an opportunity here to talk about you know what it's like to own a bike shop or run a bike shop in today's day and age, and and what we as a community can do to appreciate our bike shops better. Or again, not to lay blame on you know or anything like that. But I mean, what what is that dynamic if if one exists?
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, yeah, and that's I think that's true and important to highlight is that it's, it's no, it's nobody's fault. It's definitely, it's no one person's fault. It's not our fault or the customer's fault or anything. Um, there is a, a larger, um, issue that I think, um, is, is very complex. Um, and it's not exclusive to the bike industry. Um, but it's, it's that every, every consumer, every person has every right to go out and find the, the best deal for them. Right. So, we want you to find your dream bike at your dream price um, just as much as you do. And what's happened um, most recently is a lot of companies have come out and done a lot of direct to consumer sales and has kind of cut out that middleman of the bike shop um, to cut costs for their production um, and get as much profit as they can. Um, and, And what that's done is it's made it really hard to compete with that Um, that pricing. Um, And so people have moved to um, buying things off of the internet, um, not only because they're more affordable, but also because a lot of the time they've been more available Um, because a lot of parts, um, even from companies that are still selling to bike shops, um, a lot of those parts have been bought up by places like Amazon um, and they've just got a warehouse that's full of stuff that they can sell at whatever price they want because it's not the only thing they rely on. And so for the bike shop, it's just turned into trying to make sure that we are providing service and, um, and availability as we can to folks um, and still charging a fair price um, to cover our costs and pay our people uh, while also competing with this just very flooded market. Um, and so to go back to your original question about what people can do um, is really... Trying to trying to understand that and and see where where you as a consumer can spend your money in those local places. Like I said, it's not just bikes, right? There are a lot of places that if if they have the part you need and it's available and it's right there for you, like get it from them. Um, or if you can wait and it's cool with you that it's not going to show up at your doorstep in two hours, uh, then then go ahead and, and get it from them because a lot of the time, um, and what we've done in our shop is we've tried our best to match those prices so that we can meet these people in the middle. Um, but yeah, just, you know, we've, we've had a lot of support. Uh, and I, and I think that that's why this came as such a shock to so many people that we were closing is that we're pretty popular on the internet and we're doing really well with our different like social programs and bike camping. And, I think people were shocked to see that we were closing, but the the reality is there's not a whole lot of money in it. Like we love that, we're popular on the internet, but it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't gain us any revenue. You know. Trust
0: me, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure that
2: you probably also got. Yeah, I've um, not
0: received a single penny for having a decent yeah, following on the internet. Exactly,
2: yeah. and it's hard to monetize that, and it sucks that we have to monetize things. But yeah, at the end of the day, like you got to pay your people.
0: It's a system we're in. You didn't create the economy or right. the system we're in. I mean, you know, reality. Like we can bar, you know, be upset about it, but it is the system, mm-hmm. and if we ha- we all have bills to pay. Right. I have a little bit of perspective on this. I don't know if you know this, I used to own a golf retail business from 2008 to 2011. And I I understand that retail is a hard business that most, in a way that most people don't realize because you want to foster these relationships. But oftentimes, in my experience, the retailer is caught in the middle between the customer who oftentimes will want a good deal because the manufacturer is selling it cheaper online because they... Did like an overstock to overstock.com and so like that was, this is my experience from the golf shop or to ebay or whatever but um you know to compete with that a retailer has to buy in huge bulk so you bring in all this inventory you just hope that you can sell it the manufacturer dumps all of the responsibility onto you. And then you have customers coming in who often see things priced lower on the internet and want a competing price. And it, it's kind of a vicious circle. Mm-hmm. And and I really always feel bad for retailers because I experienced to myself where like for some reason people are fine, you know, like you never ask for a dinner uh, you know, you don't go out to dinner and ask for a discount or go to a haircut and ask for a discount or, but for some reason in a retail type environment, people do, it's human nature. And again, I'm not like calling anybody out, uh, but I, I mean, I, I just experienced it, you know, and you just often get cut, caught in the middle. And in this evolving market with online sales uh, being, I mean, what they are uh, dominating the internet. And then also, as you mentioned, uh, cycling companies and manufacturers in particular are shifting and now becoming competitors to retailers. So it's kind of, it's kind of messy. I don't yeah, know.
2: It's scary. It's, it's scary, scary for sure. And and it makes it even harder for us to, to build our value and, and to then sell service too, right? Because the things that you aren't going to get from an online retailer are tune-ups right. and um, flat fixes and break adjusts. You know, the stuff that you still need to go to see a human to do. Then it's really hard for them to understand why we've got to charge you 30 bucks to adjust your brakes, um, or why your e-bike flat is going to be $60 because it's going to be in our stand for, you know, an hour while we figure out how the heck you get that wheel on and off. And we, you know, it, it's hard to, to build that value when, um, in other places they're not having to spend that money. But I guess that would be my added answer is that like, is, is value the, the work that you get done, um, and the service that people do. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. You got to support your local bike shops. I mean, we hear it all the time and not just bike shops as a, as a business owner of a variety of different businesses. I've mm-hmm. long promulgated the idea of, of supporting local businesses when you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, sometimes we need that fucking part tomorrow or right. the day before yesterday, you know, like, mm-hmm. and okay. But like, you know, if everybody was a little bit more mindful of, of the idea and the concept and the reality of you vote with your dollars, mm-hmm. and every time you spend money in an establishment, you're saying, "Hey, I appreciate you. I value what you're doing." And it's not just about a transaction, but it really is about you voting for that business. And if you like the coffee shop down the road and they make great coffee, then go buy their your coffee from them and tell your friends about it. You mm-hmm. know, and um, it's a it's just a tough, brutal world because we are competing against really big corporations that have like marketing teams and buying power and investors. Right. And it's like, yeah, you can go do that if you want, that's available. Right. But if you really value local businesses that are providing you one-on-one service that are putting on clinics that are helping to educate and to, uh, work on your bikes. And I, I mean, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, like all the stuff that you do, you know, you really do have to, um, Yeah, show them your support. And that that Mm -hmm. means not just showing up for the group ride, but maybe buying a bike too. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I... what is the next... When does Cycle East officially shut down? Mm-hmm. What is the next near future look yeah. like for Cycle East? Yeah,
2: what's our timeline? Um, so first of all, we're going to finish out all of our planned programming for the fall. So all the bike camping trips are still going to happen. All the clinics um, that we have planned. I think we've got at least one more bikepacking clinic and then a couple more... Um, maintenance clinics. So we'll we'll still do all of that. Um, and then we're planning to stay open for retail and service through the end of November. Um, November 30th is kind of the date that we've got out there for when we'll actually close our doors to the public. And um, leading up to that, as our employees are finding other places to work and transitioning out of the shop, we'll probably adjust hours as well. So I always have the Google hours up to date and we'll put it on our Instagram as things start to change. Um, but yeah, we will, we're, we're planning to be closed by, by November 30th. And then we'll have some work to do as far as just unbuilding the shop and figuring out what inventory is left um, after that. And um, there might, you know, be some leftover chances to still still get your bike or something um, from us. But, um, yeah, then after that, it, it, it just kind of turns into like, well, what do, what do we want to do? You know, by that time, I'm sure a lot of our employees will have transitioned to other jobs. I think Russell and I will still be then um, and, and potentially Blake and maybe Jacob, too, will still be around for for the end. Um, and yeah then we'll we'll see what the future holds after that. Um, no promises. there are no plans so far <laughs> yeah so
0: when did when did you find out? I mean, is this all relatively new?
2: um like I said, we'd been talking about it for a while, and honestly, I would get like calls like almost daily from yeah. Russell like well, what if we did this or or what if what if we just cut down hours? or how how could we you know what if we did keep it open type of thing um and it wasn't until um pretty pretty close to when he wanted to go ahead and, um, announce it. I don't even, probably like a week or so before he wanted to announce it, that I got the call that he was like, you know what, like this iteration of this bike shop has to close. And, um, that was really when we made kind of that definitive, um, like decision. And then plans started, we talked to all of the employees and then pretty quickly he was like, we need, we need to tell the world. Um, so it's, it's been in conversation for a few months. Um, the, the idea of like, kind of like what you said where we're like, Oh, we don't have to keep doing this. Like we could, we could keep doing it and it could keep running as it has for the last 10 years. Um, but you know, if we're, if we're unhappy and we're overworked, like what, what are our options? Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one more question on Cycle and What in the next two months, uh, are there any asks from the community? Are y'all like trying to blow out some inventory? Like uh, what are y'all doing in the next two months? And and how can the community uh, maybe say thank you back for 10 good years of cycle business? You know, I know I'll miss you guys.
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, Come buy a jersey. Um, Or we've got a thing we've decided we're going to do. If you buy a set of bibs, then you get a jersey free. So, um, we've got a lot of those in stock. So even if you don't wear jerseys, like I own one, um, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever wear it, but it's, it's now a relic. So, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing, um, that you could come and, and blow out some of that inventory. Um, we don't have like official sales like posted yet as time moves on and things, um, start to turn. We'll, um, we'll post on our Instagram with any official sales we have. Um, we've got a lot of the same models of bikes. So, Those kinds of things will be posted for sale. And um, yeah, as we get closer and closer to the end, the, the deals will get better and better. Um, so yeah, I'd say just buy as many things, uh, as you can. (laughs) Yeah,
0: And we're coming in. We're actually, I mean, the weather is getting Mm -hmm. finally, you know, I honestly didn't think it was ever going to feel good again. I thought we were all dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, this is our new normal. Uh, but it has start. it is starting to cool down thankfully. Mm -hmm. And hopefully people will be anxious to go ride, ride their Mm -hmm. bikes. So yeah, uh, sounds good. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess as let's talk about how this, Um, information, uh, impacts your triple crown at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, if at all, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's definitely, it's, it's a pretty big life change for me. I've been at the shop for five years, so I've been processing it. Um, and also as I'm starting to like look into the future, I really can't see past Arizona, Um, in my brain, just because um, that's like a really big feat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay, once I get through Arizona, like regardless of what's going on with the shop, I will have completed the thing that I've talked about doing for a year now. Um, and I think that will feel really, really good and very relieving um, in a lot of ways. Um, so I don't have any solid plans for, for post. And I don't think it changes my like triple crown um, a whole lot. It does kind of force a little bit of like um, transition for me that I wasn't sure when I was going to move on. You know, I've I've talked about in the past six months or so like what what it is that I would want to do next um after after cycle east and it's been recent that now the after cycle east means there's no more cycle east. Um but it has been on my mind um regardless. So um yeah as far as it affecting the triple crown it doesn't change um my approach to that a whole lot. Um it just means that when I get back, um I'll I'll have some some things to figure out for sure.
0: Can we talk about what those things are? I mean, mm-hmm. we've teased the idea that you're interested in taking a run at at being an endurance cyclist. Um, mm-hmm. Is that still on your radar? Is one? I was kind of saving this question for the final episode we did, but right. since you're, this has all kind of sped up the process. Yeah. Um, where Where do you see yourself with with that? I mean, you've got a couple events on your belt. You have a couple finishes and a couple results.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What are you thinking?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that. I, with, with our like closing announcement, I've also realized just how much energy I put into this place. And I was like, man, what could I do if, if all that energy that I'm, that I'm giving to cycle East was redirected to being an endurance athlete, um, or, you know, being an, and an adventurer by trade, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> um, and get paid to play on your bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, cause if I'm not spending 40 hours a week in the shop, then, then I could be spending 40 hours a week riding my bike, um, and training or putting together my own bike packing adventures to invite people on. And, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few people that kind of stick out in my brain. Um, when I think of that, um, Sarah Swallow is one, she owned a shop and, um, then transitioned from shop life into a more kind of like influencer um, position. So I'd like to reach out to her. She's in the Dolomites right now, bikepacking with her partner. It looks so, amazing. Yeah. No. Um,
0: <laughs> so uh, I, I didn't get an invite. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
2: Um, yeah. So really, I want to talk to people like Sarah and see, like, how, how did you do that? Um, and see if that's something that I would be interested in pursuing. Um, I have some ideas around like other part-time things that I could do in town, um, just so that I can dedicate more time to kind of scheming how to make, um, bikepacking and bikepack racing my main thing. Um, and so I'll probably once, once we actually close down and I don't have the pressure of an open bike shop, um, then I will be able to spend a little more time figuring out how to, how to make that work. But I, I do think it's like kind of a, a natural next step for me. Um, I think next year I'd like to focus a little more on, uh, races outside the country. Um, since I spent a lot of time, um, exploring, um, North America with, with the triple crown. Um, yeah, next year, I think I'll probably focus on doing some, some more overseas things. Um, and yeah, try to get some sponsors behind it, try to, um, see, see what's, what's next on the docket. Um, I, I do think I realized, and this was like reaffirmed during Colorado trail. It's like, I, I love these races. I love the challenge of them. I'm a little less motivated by the, like, come back next year and do it better. Um, cause I literally, I still do not understand how Alexandra has done the, <laughs> the Colorado trail like eight times now. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and I think she must not exploring. like herself. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and I think that's the thing, right? Is that, and when I've talked to her about it, she, she it sounds like that trail in particular has become a big part of how she's. Uh, learn to love herself. Like it's something that she says that she never thought she'd be able to do, and now she's been able to for, you know, six, seven, eight times, um, and faster and faster each time. Yeah. So I think that that it's it's almost the opposite of that. It's like this is how I found this this self love and um yeah. And I can understand. It's that. a
0: big part of her and her yeah. story. Yeah. I feel like Hal Russell was like that too with the Tour de Bide. He did mm-hmm. it six times, and it was his way of like you know, bearing his uh, past from Vietnam and some ghosts and mm-hmm. memories. And a lot of people do that, you know, yeah. and you great, you get a relationship with, with that experience, that trail. Maybe you'll find your trail one day.
2: Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe it's
0: the East Texas Showdown. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, make it, you don't have to do Colorado Trail. You can make it an easy one, you know? Yeah,
2: that's fair. I mean, East Texas Showdown is the only thing I've done more than once, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, good, good. Well, you, do you think you'll come back next year? Or are you gonna to be too busy?
2: Um, oh man, I mean it's in April again, right? I don't know the date off the top of my head. Well,
0: registration opens tomorrow.
2: Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> I know that now.
0: And it's <laughs> it's a uh, March. Wait, why isn't it on my calendar? <laughs> oh yeah, it is the twenty first or the twenty fourth. I of was just March. checking. Yeah, of March. Okay. Yeah.
2: Gotcha. Oh, April is doom. That's what I was thinking of. Because um, there's a few things back to back. Cause I think, is it Mid-South and then East it's Texas showdown it again? It's Mid-South.
0: Yeah. So uh, Mid-South is the weekend before ETS. Yeah. And then, yeah, Doom is sometime in April, but.
2: Mm-hmm. Usually around Easter. Yeah.
0: That yeah. was funny whenever he had the uh, the Easter bunny ears, <laughs> on, <laughs> ears uh, on on it with his Doom or his scream mask. Yeah. That was just epic. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd love to see you back at uh, East Texas, but mm-hmm. if you've outgrown us, it's okay.
2: <laughs> That's okay. I mean, it's, it's. The beauty of it is that it's in my backyard, right? It's so always if, there. If I'm around, then then yeah, I'll be there.
0: I love that. Uh, oh yeah, this is what I was going to ask you. Mm-hmm. I asked Marone and Katya this question and it's <laughs> just, I'm, I'm like taking a, a, a poll, mm-hmm. um, because I don't, I, this isn't something I ever really hear talked about is like mm-hmm. the process of becoming a, an athlete or, or, or making money, um, as, you know, leading, leading trips or, you know, like Sarah, she does a Rute del Hufe, but she also writes articles and like, how are all these people, you know, like making it all work and, um, I don't know, to the degree people are open to it. I'm like, hey, let's just talk about it. And like, what it, what's going on behind the scenes? So I'm curious, you know, we've, I think you've been on the podcast like four, this is your fifth time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, You've had some results and in, mm-hmm. in some bigger races now. D- do, do any companies like, just DM you or do you see any, uh, interest? Like, what is it like on the side of the person who's actually doing it? You know? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I, um, I haven't had anyone approach me, um, necessarily. I think the, the first call was after Arkansas high country last year. Um, one of our QBP reps, um, quality bicycle products who owns Surly and salsa and all city and Terravale and a bunch of big bike brands. Um, one of the people that, um, I think he's like regional manager. Um, he doesn't work for QBP anymore. But anyway, he he called Russell after he saw the Arkansas High Country results, and he was like, "Who's sponsoring her?" And Russell was like, "No one, unless you want to." Um, and and that was um, how I ended up getting the um, Salsa Timberjack, the Thai Timberjack that I've been riding during Triple Crown. Um, that was kind of one of those unofficial, like uncontracted deals because I had been riding their journeyman, um, which is now the Journeyer. Um, it's an entry level gravel bike from salsa. I had been doing all of my big races on that, um, Iceland and Arkansas high country and such. And they were like, Hey, maybe do you want to like ride something else? (laughs) So that was, uh, how I ended up with the, with the fancy bikes that I've got. So that's the Thai timberjack and the, um, warbird. Um, and then after that call, um, I, had announced that I was doing Triple Crown, and um, we have a really close relationship with our Shram rep um, as well, um, David Garcia, and he would come by the shop every once in a while um, with his boss Jamie, and they were in one day, and it just kind of occurred me. I I kind of said to him, I was like, Hey, y'all, I'm actually planning on doing this big triple crown thing next year. Do you think there's any chance that SRAM would want to um, support me or sponsor me in any way? Um, and they showed interest and we started talking and they went and talked to their people and then came back and talked to me. And um, Your so, people, you yeah, mean, right? Yeah, um, yeah, my, yeah my people. Uh, <laughs> like Russell.
0: <laughs> um, Boss and uh, business and manager. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, he really has been a big supporter of mine. So, um, and then we, you know, we all went to get lunch together and the only point of the lunch was like to figure out how much money they would have um to really do in kind donation stuff um and so they set me up on the GX Axis group and the fancy zip um the 303 motos um the on the Timberjack and then um 101s for the um Warbird. So, um, the, the fancy bike setups that I've been riding, um, have been supported by SRAM. Um, and yeah, I think that all of that happened and it created a world where I would be able to go do these crazy rides on like the most, um, uh, prepared, equipment Um, and it definitely made a huge difference because if I didn't have that um, with me, then I would not, or if I wasn't riding that bike, then there could have been a whole host of problems. Um, Yeah. So that was the support that I got uh, beforehand and I haven't made any other asks. Um, I think Shram and I are talking about figuring out an actual contract. They've got an ambassador program that I'll officially apply to this fall um, and so that's kind of in the works and we'll see if that works out. Um, and there are a couple other brands that have popped up in my mind that I could reach out to, but it's not like people are lining up, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, um, I don't
0: think they are for anybody. Yeah, that's, that's, well, and that's, that's the a feedback thing, I'm like, getting is.
2: That's what I said to Katya at the end of Colorado trail I was like, girl, how are you still like relying on Alexander to mail you her old bike, you know, <laughs> but even then it was interesting getting insight from alexandra like she's you know top dog in my brain as far as bikepack racing goes and um she's even had trouble like having people reach out with actual valuable offers um it's kind of insulting in a lot of cases so um there's not there's not a whole lot of money to be made in in this yeah um, in some ways
0: it's maybe a good thing with like bikepack racing hasn't Mm -hmm. gotten like ruined by money and you know like where it's just Mm -hmm. like all about the money yeah but at the same time you would like to see people at least be able to figure out a way and really I don't I don't know what I'm curious I don't know what it is maybe I need to interview a company one day and be Mm -hmm. like why aren't people seeing the value in bikepacking as Mm -hmm. an emerging market the same way they did with gravel cycling and 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 investing in some athletes and and showing the world what is possible out there you know and I, I still think it's the greatest human endurance effort there is on the planet that's available to us, and it shocks me that there's not more interest in helping to to boost the people that are like really um, showcasing what's possible. You know, so right. it's interesting. I, I wish mm-hmm. I had an answer, but I think you're in the same ball, uh, same whatever fishbowl is everybody yeah. else, where it's just like, everybody's trying to figure out a way to make make it work. And one cool thing, I'm sure you're aware of this, but maybe people listening, uh, would also benefit, but, uh, Sarah Swallow, um, whenever, uh, she was riding with Salsa Ride and they dropped all their riders except for layle Remember uh, that? Did you know? Specialized, not Salsa. S- thank you. Oh, yeah. thank you. I, yeah, <laughs> I knew I was hesitating for a reason. <laughs> no worries. Specialized, mm-hmm. dropped all their uh, I like their adventure type athletes. Like yeah. it was a certain. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like all their cyclists, but it was just like the, this adventure group of, of cyclists. And uh, Sarah Swallow was one of the athletes that mm-hmm. uh, got dropped, and uh, as a result, she created this um, network of. You know everyone like i'm on there like podcasters mm-hmm. and marketers and racers and group event organizers um and she created a collective of people to share ideas and kind of a brain trust and hey how are you solving this problem you know if you need sponsors like who's got money right now that kind of stuff and so um which is great you know that's a great resource is that something you've like checked in like looked into
2: um, i I haven't looked into that specifically, yeah no, no? Yeah.
0: yeah, I think she to your point, I think she's an excellent resource's oh, yeah. uh, been doing it for a long time, and mm-hmm. uh, she's a creative thinker and has figured out a way to make it work for all these years, mm-hmm.
2: so Well, it's such a skill to be able to organize like being an organizer is 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 such a big job and there's so many little details that you have to check all those boxes and and you know, even just I shouted her out whenever I talked about the um, Tour Divide route, like having those ra- that route split up into sections with all of the resources on there. It's like, I mean, that is invaluable. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I hope I haven't talked to her about it, but I hope that people are um, paying her the way that they should. <laughs>
4: um,
2: yeah, it's a it's a bummer about Specialized. That's really um, that that to me really um, is a bit of a warning too around like you can see a lot of support but like they, you, they don't value you the way that you value them a lot of the time and um, you're like a drop in their big old ocean and so um, just trying to protect yourself and, and the time that you spend and who, who you decide to um, go under contract with because um, there's a chance that they could just drop it like that which yeah. is upsetting.
0: I wasn't, you know, it's something that's on my mind. Like, um, I've been working with Panorama bikes for a little while, you know, and I intentionally did not reach out to bigger brands because, like I told Simon, the owner of Panorama, I would rather be in a bigger and a more important cog in your machine Mm -hmm. than this insignificant little bearing that they'll just replace or, you know, the bottom bracket will work fine without it for a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, I... that doesn't appeal to me as much as like working with brands that can truly value. And I feel, and I feel like I could do something good too. Like that's the other side of the coin is like, if I work with a smaller brand and I'm like, okay, I feel like I can actually help y'all, you know? Um, so anyway, well, Good luck on your journey. <laughs> Let me know when you figure it out. We'll do a podcast on how to become yeah. a professional, but I don't think there's an. I I don't think there's a lot of companies just dishing out money. No. And maybe that speaks to the cycling as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. like just companies aren't flush with cash right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. How hard is the Colorado trail
2: race? <laughs> scale of one to 10.
0: Or one um, to a million. I don't to, know. Yeah.
2: It's like 17, 18 on a scale of one to 10. No. Um, man the the c t is it's it's hard in a totally different way than something like Tour divide is um it's hard in the sense that it doesn't make any sense you don't you you're on a hiking trail with your sixty pound bike um and you're just Climbing up the side of mountains. Um, and then even on the descent side, it's like still not fun because you still have to walk a bunch. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the Colorado Trail is real hard. Um, and it's, yeah, just a different challenge um, than than things that I've done before.
0: How how prepared did you feel going into it? Based on you know whatever internet research you could do. Oh, you've written mm-hmm. some of it before, right? Yeah, I had yeah, done a section. Yeah. I did. So you this, had a taste. Yeah,
2: yeah. Between um, Silverton and Durango, it's the um, it's like eighty miles of trail between those two, and I did it from north to south on that one um, last year. Um, and I mean, it kicked my butt. Like I I knew that this was going to be really challenging, um, especially from that experience. Um, so this year, um, on, on all the odd years, the race goes from, um, south to north or what they call like west to east. Um, and then, uh, even years they do, um, north to south, um, Denver to Durango, um, east to west so this year we were going I was going the opposite way than I had last year for that little section Um, yeah I I would say um, equipment wise I felt super prepared Um, like I said shout out Tram and Salsa um, for helping out with that I felt like I was on the right setup I was riding the Timberjack, so it was a hardtail with a pike um, set up with 130 travel Um, that's a fork that I was using Um, and I put a dropper post on for this, uh, for this race. Um, the tour divide, I just was using rigid. So had a couple of uh, things swapped out and, um, took less clothing, um, moved some things around. So I had a bigger front bag and a smaller rear one. So I could use that dropper more. Um, yeah. So equipment wise, I felt super prepared, um, terrain and like fitness wise. I, I knew that I would be hiking a lot. Like that's what everybody says about this trail, but I don't think you can ever actually mentally prepare for just how much you're off your bike. Um, I got to Buena Vista, which was about halfway. And I was talking to a friend and I was like, man, I just can't wait for the part of this trail where I can ride for more than a mile at a time. Um, miles have never felt so long.
0: (laughs) And you weren't kidding.
2: I wasn't kidding. I was like, there were times that you'd get like half a mile of, and then you'd have to stop to climb over something or up something or down something. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's a lot of hiking. And their
0: response to you was, um, that's <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. It was like, mm, well, you've, you're halfway.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> get used to this. Get used to what, it. Was that ex- your experience through most of the trail? Is I mean, was it difficult to find a mile?
2: Mm-hmm, for a lot of it. There are a couple sections. Um, so it, as you get closer to Denver, you're um, entering the front range Um, and so you're at a little bit of a lower elevation um, so you're not climbing up past 12,000 anymore Um, so it helps a lot because even though you're doing just as much elevation gain um, you're just not as high up so you can actually breathe a little bit Um, and there are also a couple spots, like there's, um, a section that's like 26 miles of just road, um, that you're just doing one of the bypasses. There's like six wilderness bypasses. Um, and so there are some chances once you get past that halfway mark that you are moving a little quicker than you were. Um, And yeah, just depending on which direction you go. So that's one of those things people talk about a lot. Like, is it harder going from Denver to Durango um, or Durango to Denver? Um, And I have only done the complete route Durango to Denver. um, But everyone that I've talked to and also the experience that it seems like I had was that it, it, it works out better if you start in Durango because then you get all the really hard stuff done first, and you're probably doing more climbing overall going that direction. But at least you've got that over with, and then once you hit Point of Vista and head toward the Front Range, it does get easier. And um, I think doing it that way instead of you know running through the Front Range and feeling good, and then realizing you've got you know Stony Pass to go over just to get into Silverton, um, which Stony Pass is where the like high point is, um, which is 13,500 ish feet. Um, you're up on that Ridge for 12 hours, um, above 12,000 feet above treeline. So doing all that and then doing front range is really nice. (laughs) So
0: how well prepared were you for, I mean, I'm trying to get a sense of like how mm-hmm. hard this was for mm-hmm. you coming from Texas. Like, oh yeah, like, like, was there a point where you're like, this is impossible. I'm going to quit. Like, did you ever get to like a super low?
2: Yeah, get to that point. Um, you know, reflecting on it, I don't, I don't think I ever got there. Um, uh, relatively speaking, we had pretty good uh, weather there was never a point where you got so soaked that you weren't going to dry out. Um, so, so the weather cooperated pretty well. Um, and I would say like altitude wise, I, I got there a week beforehand and stayed in, uh, Salida, Buena Vista area for, um, a week before and was just riding, doing different um, trails out there and sections of um, the trail that are in that area to kind of try to acclimate. Uh, I do think it helped a lot to be able to do that um, just to be up with that high thin air. Um, And I did notice too, once you got through the higher elevation parts, um, the sections that are lower, that are closer to Denver, um, I think I had acclimated a whole lot more by that time too. So I think it, it, yeah, it helped. Doing it in that direction too. It's like
0: forced acclimatiz- acclimatization. Yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. Like as you're out there doing the race, you're acclimatize also or die. Yeah, yeah. So I there was never a point where I felt like I was going to quit. I think in my f- reflection, I realized that um, the thing I had to complain about the most was just how hard it was. Um, which wasn't enough of a reason to quit, you know, like, oh, oh, this is hard for you. Well, you just keep going.
0: Physically, mentally, both. Like what was Mm -hmm. adding up to make it so hard and so challenging?
2: Um, a little, a little bit, I don't know, pretty even, I would say. I was going to say a little bit more mentally, but, um, uh, yeah, the physical factor was totally there. So I think mentally the hardest part was just how slow mountain bike miles are. Um, you really can't pay attention to how far you've gone because um, it's just really defeating. Um, so getting over that hump, like being like, okay, you know, sure, I've only gone eight miles, but it was like eight miles straight up. Um, that that part of the like mental game um, was tricky. Um, compared though to Tour Divide, it was, it was easier in the sense that like I knew that it was going to be over faster, uh. um, which was really like the hardest part about tuber divide was how long it went on. Yeah. Um, and so to be out there for a third of the time was, was definitely very helpful. Yeah. Um, and then physically, I think there are a couple of reasons why it was so tricky. Like obviously all the climbing and at altitude, um, there was also a lot of like decision-making as far as like, do I push over this pass in the afternoon when there could be an electrical lightning storm up there? Um Or is that like too risky? Um, And I think this is where having never done this trail before, um, I think made it that much harder because you just have no frame of reference. Um, So I think, that's where all the people who have done it a bunch, they kind of know how long it takes them to, to do um, these sections. So the decision making was tricky for sure. Um, and there were a couple of cases where I was really glad to you know, be around someone else who was more experienced um, with this specific trail than I was. Because um, Stony Pass, which I mentioned before, I was climbing up that and Karen, um, the woman who got fifth um, right ahead of me, she came up behind me and she had been dealing with a bunch bunch of um like stomach bug issues and so she came up behind me and we were climbing up stony and she was like, Man, are are you gonna do this? Like it's getting pretty dark out there. It was starting to get to be the afternoon and the there was a storm of ruin for sure. Um in my my perspective, I was like, I don't know, I mean I need to get over it. So <laughs> I might as well do it now. And so we decided to stick together for that pass. Um that's where you're above tree line for twelve hours. Um and she is a um she's like a ski guide by trade. So she does um, all kinds of guiding. And she was talking about how um, you can tell, like there are telltale signs of when a lightning storm gets too extreme. And so she was like, I, I feel confident when I can tell us to bail. Um, and I was like, okay, I feel confident just keeping on going <laughs> until that moment. <laughs>
0: hey, hey, how yeah. do you know what? How do you bail? Where do you bail to?
2: <laughs> In a lot of cases, there's not a great bail spot. Yeah, um, what kind yeah. of
0: plan is that?
2: It depends. Well, it, it depends <laughs> for sure, and you kind of have to like gauge um, how things are going. In our case, Karen had been up there a few times and um, had and it could tell kind of where the storm was was building, um, and it was on the opposite side of the pass that we were on, and so. So we were just making sure that we were never like at the highest point um, while that storm was happening. So we'd already gotten past the high point and there's like four more little humps to that pass after that high point. And so just paying attention to where the storms are building. um, And like I said, she had the experience of having been up there three or four different times. Mm -hmm. I think this was her fifth time doing the race, I want to say. And so she knew, she was like, her frame of reference was like, this is not the scariest it's been for me. <laughs> um, and so I was like, okay, cool. That sounds good to me. Um, and so, yeah, as you're going, you're just like, okay, if we get up to that point, this is where we're going to bail to. Um, and she was familiar enough with the trail that like um, there were there were spots that basically you just got to get down as low as you can, as fast as you can. And what that means is that if you have to bail, you got to climb back up yeah. to wherever you were, yeah. which is a bummer. But
0: What is your relationship with, but mm-hmm. let me rephrase this, yeah, what scares you <laughs> on these rides specifically yeah um and and what is your relationship with that fear in terms mm-hmm. of like how do you overcome it, how do you put it to the side mm-hmm. um, and and just keep moving or or make good decisions in the moment? like what is totally. your relationship with that?
2: yeah yeah, um I mean that's pretty pretty spot on especially for this specific experience um i i am probably a little too. Confident in, in some cases, so I have a lot of outdoor experience, um, and and maybe it's um, like oh, how do I want to call it like foolish confidence. Um, may, maybe I should be a little more scared, but I think a lot of the time I hear from specifically women are not men, um, that going out and doing, um, outdoor things is, is scary to do alone. Um, and I, I don't know what it is about me that I, I haven't experienced that fear a whole lot. Um, I think in a lot of cases, kind of like the one with, um, Karen coming up behind me and saying like, Oh, are you going to do that? I, I haven't had the real bad thing happen that has scared me enough to stop me. Um, and I try to be aware of that because I'm sure that it'll come someday. Um, so maybe it's a little bit of bliss, blissful ignorance. Um, but generally speaking, I haven't dealt with a whole lot of fear, um, in these cases. Um, and, and man, the, the thing that got me the most, um, on Colorado trail was the, the fear of being so exhausted and so depleted, um, and undernourished, And out in the remote spot doing very technical mountain biking, like just striking my pedal wrong and like toppling down the side of a mountain. Um, And it it hit me in a way that it hasn't before um, where I was I was scared. I would be. I remember uh, being in the middle of a descent and having to stop myself because I was so overwhelmed with, um, all, all of the what ifs. Um, and I got so angry in that moment because I realized that so much of the glory around these bike pack races is how fast you can do it and with how little resources. Um, and it's just not safe in a lot of cases. Um, so it it kind of came out of nowhere for me and i I did write a reflection on it um that I think I'll share through the town bicycle um oh good uh which is hosted on Instagram by Katie strumkey and a few other um
0: and they have a website too yeah yeah, yeah.
2: so so i'll I'll put some more eloquent words together um <laughs> it uh, sounds like you that. felt vulnerable mm-hmm. it yeah. sounds
0: like i i I'm speaking from my own experience, but mm-hmm. like um Every once in a while, I don't, yeah, I I don't operate under much fear. I mean, I try to be aware of things that you need to be aware of, but just don't have much fear as I'm going about it. But Mm -hmm. I was doing a ride through the night just about a month ago and all, you know, all the way through the night and about two or three o'clock in the morning, for some, I was just, I was in the middle of nowhere by myself, it was completely quiet. And I was like, I feel exposed and vulnerable Mm -hmm. all of a sudden. And it felt, I was like, ooh, this is weird and uncomfortable. Um, but it's probably also a good perspective to have to mm-hmm. kind of keep you in check. But yeah, it sounds like maybe you're just like, oh, shit, I can't fuck up. This isn't a game. This isn't, I'm not playing bikes right now, I'm right doing an endurance effort and I need to be aware of that.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. No fear of lightning, eh?
2: Yeah. Well, again. Th-
0: <laughs> I mean you've never been struck by lightning so far I so haven't right been like...
2: by lightning so far. Um, yeah and I, and I do think it comes a little bit from that from that blissful ignorance is like um, if, it, if it hasn't happened yet like oh it's not gonna happen to me yeah. so that's where it's good to have people like Karen around who are like hey yeah you're not invincible um, so I try to try to stay ahead of that and and yeah. try to make smart decisions because I think and I talked about this a little bit with Tour Divide. I just, I just don't want to be the idiot that they have to come rescue. Mm. I don't want to put anybody else in any um, dangerous place just because they're trying to, to save me from, from myself. Um, so I try to stay aware of that. Um, and I think there'll be different challenges in the future with different trails and such um, to try to prevent those things from happening. Um, and, and I did a little bit of that with Colorado Trail. Like, for example, the last night that I was out there, um, another rider, um, his name's Simon had he and I had been riding together for a while and we got to toward the end and the last forty miles is in into Waterton Canyon is like a um is all single track. Uh, it's part of kind of like a bike park type situation. Um, and we were coming up on the end of a big gravel section, um, that then like, once you finish that gravel section, you, um, are put back into the woods for that last 40 miles to do, to do the rest of it and kind of drop into the Canyon. And I had said something earlier in the day about like, Oh yeah, I'm just pushing through. Like I'm not stopping anymore. Cause I want this to be over with. And he kind of like looked at me sideways and was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I just remember getting to the, the start of that trailhead, um, for that last section. And it was like 10 o'clock at night and I was pretty delirious. And, um, you know, I was, I was still feeling okay, but I realized I was like, man, there's no reason to keep going right now. Um, if I do, then I could, number one, I could hurt myself and just ruin everything 40 miles out from the end. Um, I could, it will take me so much longer to do this, like in, my exhausted state versus if I just stop and sleep for four hours and I'll finish at a time that nobody's awake and then I don't get to have a party.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have got that six skid yeah, photo at the sk- end. Yeah, <laughs>
2: skid photo, exactly.
3: <laughs> like, yeah, it's not- your
0: caption was good too. Like I finished in the dust of a skid or a bike yeah, yeah, skid or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, epic. I love it.
2: Right. Well, and I realized too, like, you know, it maybe it's vain, but a lot of it is like, you get to celebrate afterwards. And if you're finishing at 4 a.m. all by yourself, poor Katia, she did have friends out there at least. <laughs> yeah, she did. Um, yeah, you know, it, it feels like pretty anticlimactic. So when I had that choice, I, I decided like, I'm going to do the thing that's right and, and safe um, for me um, and, and not chase after whatever glory there is in finishing faster.
0: Yeah. Let's touch on that a little bit more because you yeah. did make a post about it mm-hmm. on Colorado Trail. You actually made a post about it on Tour Divide about kind of yeah. grappling with touring versus going fast. And, Mm -hmm. you know, wanting to soak up uh, what you're doing and appreciate it and and finding that balance. So, yeah, as you've done a little bit more, you got another race on your belt. Mm -hmm. Like, what is, I don't know, can you speak more to like what that struggle is and and maybe where you're landing with it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so I wrote that post um, in Buena Vista. I... Um, I had gotten into Buena Vista, um, at like 4 PM and I'd gone to, uh, Blackboro bikes. That's the bike shop there. Um, and Matt and Lindsay, um, I believe are their names. I hope I got that right. They, they were both super sweet and, um, set me up like Matt stayed after and basically rebuilt my bike. It was awesome. Um, and so he had finished all that up and as I was going to go like roll out of Buena Vista and, and start heading um, further north again, uh, this storm started to roll in. And um, I wanted to go and get a coffee to kind of keep me awake anyway. And there was this little hotel bar um, across the way from their bike shop. And so I went in and sat at the bar and um, ordered a coffee and. I had this moment cause I hadn't been around people in a while
4: <laughs> and it's like this kind of
2: swanky <laughs> hotel bar and everybody's dressed up and I like left my helmet on. So I was like, they'll, they'll know that, right. that something's happening. Something's yeah. different about me.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I do that too. I bet a lot of us do <laughs> that. Just be like, I'm doing a thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't normally look like this. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. This, all, all the dirt on my face is normal. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I sat down and I ordered coffee and like almost immediately it started like pouring rain and it was lightning and thunder. And I was like, okay, well, um, maybe I'll take this moment to kind of stop and reflect. Um, and I sat down and started writing a a lot of those feelings I was having, um, that I think were really highlighted during the CT because I realized I wasn't having a very good time. Like I wasn't having a whole lot of fun (laughs) and I was trying to figure out like, oh man, maybe is, is this just not for me? Like, am I not built to do this because I'm not enjoying every moment of suffering um and i think what came out of that was realizing that uh i i was doing it in in a really challenging way like trying to do something like that fast um is pretty pretty torturous um and and that it was um it it was good to challenge myself like that but it was also good to recognize that like that is not always the um the thing that I'm most proud of, um, is how fast I do something. And so I just was able to kind of sit down and, and remind myself that I think the thing that I am most proud of when it comes to doing these races is being able to, to get through it and finish and feel like a whole person still. Um, you know, when you, when you get to the end, um, you have enough in you to, to celebrate and to hug your friends and to hang out and, and eat and drink. And, um, you know,
0: not just come back like a zombie. Yeah. (laughs) Not just be
2: a total zombie. Um,
0: That's such a good point. That's such a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot.
2: So, so there was a little bit of sentiment in that. And I think it was also feeling that fear and, and trying to understand like fighting a little bit of imposter syndrome around like, am I a good enough mountain biker to be doing this? If I'm like walking down every switchback, um, which man, those switchbacks are fucked. So (laughs) (laughs) if you're riding down them, that's incredible. But, um, yeah, just trying to, to remind myself that, that there's no right way to do these things. Um, um, and that it's okay to to take take that comfort like I did during tour divide. Um, yeah, yeah. And just take care of yourself and be absolutely. proud of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be out there mostly for yourself, right? Yes. You're not gonna draw. You can draw some inf- inspiration and motivation from here and there, but mm-hmm. like you have to be out there for yourself and have your own internal drivers. And you got to be okay with that to whatever degree that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. I have two follow-up questions and you yeah. touched on both of them. Okay. One, I was curious if, you know, it's like, hey, we all like riding bikes, bikes are fun. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll do this, event. I'll, I'll do that event. Then you do the Tour de Vie, then you do Colorado Trail. Has, ha, has this, you know, challenge that you set for yourself, this mm-hmm. process in any way started to diminish your love and enjoyment and excitement for riding the bike? And it's okay mm-hmm. if it has, cause like maybe it just feels like a job right now a little <laughs> bit, but. What has that been like,
2: yeah, um, yeah, I think the actual physical riding my bike hasn't been ruined for me yet. um I do think that the um the racing aspect um and and these particular three races, I think that has been tainted for me a little bit um because because of the challenge that it's uh that has come out of it um and what i what i mean is <laughs> so i after, after this race, I was in Denver, um, and I was staying with a couple friends and, um, one of them was actually from Austin. He happened to just be in Denver at the same time as me. So it was really sweet. He offered to come pick me up from the end. And so, um, his name's Ian. He and I were in, um, Boulder actually after the fact, just checking out the bike park they have there. And as we were leaving to go back to, um, where we were staying, I saw Ezra, Mm. As reward packer, yeah. just ride by nice. like in because he lives there right or um he's, yeah he's there right now yeah, right yeah. now yeah. because um, he's pretty um pretty nomadic, but I just, I saw him ride by and I looked at my friend and you know, I was like, I, I think I know that guy. <laughs> um, so we like chased him down in the car and, um, had him pull over and got to say hi to him. And it was, it was so fun. Cause first of all, it reminded me of the community, like the fact that you can be anywhere and just like see a guy on a bike and know exactly who he is.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: and then it was nice because I got to say hi and he, he was, you know, asking me how Colorado trail went. He actually had just been with Andrew on her ma like, that morning, and Andrew had to bail on their ride so he could go pick his friend up who was out on the CT, um, who had decided that morning that he was just not, didn't want to finish it. So all of all of these happenstance things brought us together on the side of the road here. And, and he said something that really hit me when he was like, Ezra said to me, yeah, whoever came up with this triple crown thing really just picked the three hardest and, like, most rigorous trails in North America and said like, Hey, yeah, do them all in one year. <laughs> like that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, And it was, it meant a lot coming from him because he's very involved in the bikepacking community and also pretty experienced. And so like hearing him say that, I was like, you know what? You're right. Like this is fucked up and kind of on purpose. Um, And so that it was what I needed to hear at that moment because I was having this moment of like, man, I mean, I know I'm going to do Arizona Trail because I said I was going to, but like, what does it say about me that I just almost don't want to um, for a lot of reasons? And this was fresh off the CT. So I've had some time to let it, get exciting. So I, I am excited about it now. Um, but it was nice to hear from another person who was super involved in this community that like, this is not the end all be all of bikepacking. Um, and it, it helped with a lot of these feelings around like, man, am I just not, you know, built for this
0: yeah yeah what's wrong with me why am right. i not why are all these other people doing it and they're having a good time like what's wrong with me yeah he's absolutely right i mean i i genuinely think this is the hardest endurance sport and then mm-hmm. we've picked the three hardest races and we've mm-hmm. grouped them into a year mm-hmm. and said okay have fun yeah and then marone was like all right i'll do the iti Diderot trail invitational mm. uh in february too so he's doing the I'm calling it the Royal crown. Is that what I, yeah. The Royal crown. crown. Okay. If you're, yeah. But, uh,
2: don't tell me that. No, don't tell me that. I don't need to know that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Marone. Yeah. I'm about to talk to Jay Petterberry and it seems like he actually, I know for a fact, I learned that he, um, did all four completed or attempted all four like in 2015 or something. Anyway, I'm going to get it. I'm talking to him on Monday, so we'll get his story, but, um, I
2: hope he's doing all right.
0: I do too. Yeah. Uh, so well. we'll, we'll come on and share his story. So i um, going to let it rip and see, see what's going on. So I told him, I was like, I kind of wanted to reach out, but also like, I don't want to be an ambulance chaser and like, oh, you no, got hit by a yeah. car, you know, yeah. like, let me, you know, and I don't know him. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of, it's kind of a delicate thing, but yeah. we're going to talk.
2: I'm excited to hear from him.
0: Yeah, me too. I am too. Uh, So my first question was about your relationship with that. The second Mm. one was about, yeah, and you touched on the second one too, Mm. which is, this is a conversation uh, Natalie and I, my girlfriend and I were having just actually last night um, about what it is about, like, what is type two fun? Mm. Like, what Mm -hmm. what is it about the human body or brain that we do something and in the moment it can seem like, I am never doing this again. I'm not sure if I'm even riding bikes again after this, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I thought I love bikes. It turns out I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever your thought process may be. But for some reason, within a short period of time, you quickly, it seems like most people do. And that's why we call it type two fun. Mm -hmm. It's we forget We know that the pain was there. We know it was hard. It's not that we're oblivious to that, but for some reason we can put it aside and only remember the good stuff, the accomplishment, the feeling of uh, reward or whatever Mm -hmm. that we get when we do it. Have you ever thought about like, what Mm -hmm. is type two fun?
2: Yeah. Why? 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 Like, Come on, why? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about it a lot. I think about it while it's happening. I'm (laughs) like, what the hell? Like, why why is it like this? Um, Yeah. I think, One of the things that's occurred to me, um, and I have seen it as a theme kind of throughout my life, um, is this kind of um, productivity culture um, where... you are valued by how much you accomplish or how much you do. Um, and I mean, it's, it's affected me for as long as I can remember. Cause even back in like grade school, it was like, how many sports can you play? How many AP classes and IB classes can you take? And can then you also go and have hobbies and be social and go to parties on the weekend? It's like how, how much can you do? Um, how, how, then can you spread yourself and still like accomplish things? Um, and I've recognized it myself like through through school, through college, it was the same way. Like how much can I cram into the four years that I'm here? Um, and now I see it as as an adult, um, especially with this like, okay, now I'm working forty hours a week running a bike shop, but then I'm also attempting Triple Crown and I'm also training to do it. And um, so I think uh, a lot of it is like almost a like, sickness around, around productivity. Um, and so I've tried to figure out how I can make that healthier for me. Um, and how I can, can approach it in a way that, that feels good. Um, that's not just chasing these achievements. Um, there was something that was shared with me recently, um, from my, my friend, Katie May, um, my friend, my very wise friend, Katie May, she, she sent me something around like, what, like, what is it about me that I, um, I accomplished something. And instead of being proud of myself, I'm immediately, um, just relieved that it's over. Um, and so I, I think it, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, um, value built in in how much a person can do. Um, and so that allows us to go through a lot in order to accomplish those things. Um, and, I I the reason why I think is such a huge question and I think that motivation is different for every person um but for for me it's like that achievement thing as as far as just like um how can I prove to myself that I've done something like worth being excited and proud of that that second part of the type 2 fun that yeah. I can be like oh yeah I I did that um, yeah.
0: yeah I have a I have another thought Mm -hmm. that's in parallel to what you're saying. I had this thought last night, so it's still a new thought, but Mm -hmm. we'll throw it out there and it may be just for fun. Yeah, I wonder if it's evolutionary. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's some kind of mechanism that as we evolved, like, you know, imagine what we used to have to endure being Mm -hmm. cold or hot or hunting our own food or, you know, I mean, I'm sure every day you woke up, woke up was a hard Mm -hmm. day full of challenges. Right, And in order to like, as a species, be able to move forward and keep just moving forward, we Mm -hmm. have to somewhat have a short memory and allow those, some of the negatives of, like if all of the negatives just continue to build and build on yourselves, like we as a species might not have like continued to move forward, you know? I don't know, it's kind of a deeper philosophical approach to it, Mm -hmm. but I was just like, what is this type two fun that you can do something and be like, like literally it happened because Natalie and I did this 22 hour ride in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. It was her longest ride. I mean, we did 11,000 feet of climbing. Prior to that, she'd only ridden like 60 miles in Texas. And I mean, it was a huge, huge effort. 22 hours doing one thing is is big. Yeah, it's long um, and, and, you know, she's broken and beaten. She was exactly what you described as mm-hmm. I want to finish and not be broken. <laughs> yeah, know? totally. She was broken and mm-hmm. that was too much Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> But it was interesting. I mean, just two days later she's like, I mean, we're texting, she's like, I'm ready to sign up for another event. You know, we're talking right. about we were talking about mid south. You got the mid south shirt on there. Yeah. And like, like, what is it that you're mm-hmm. like you're like, I'm so broken, I'm so defeated, I can't imagine ever doing something that hard again. And then yeah. like days later you're like, hmm, let me sign up for another one. I think yeah. I'm ready to do it again.
2: <laughs> well, and I think it's also that like that pushing yourself past whatever limit you think you have and then surviving it. Like realizing that you can do it, and then craving that that same um, challenge again, um, and I think, and I man, it goes hand in hand kind of with that productivity thing I'm talking about. I think one of my favorite parts, this is so masochistic, but (laughs) like one of my favorite parts about doing these big efforts is, is at the end when, when you've done all you can and, um, and you're kind of like spindly and like, you feel like a little skeleton, but you have like really pushed yourself to whatever limit you, you thought you had. Um, like, getting to that point is so rewarding for so many reasons. And I think that having that feeling at the end is enough for you to then want to go out and, and push it again and, and do something, you know, even even more um, challenging um, just to kind of feel that way again.
0: I also wonder if, you know, if we're all on this pursuit to some degree of like, what are my limits? Right. You know, and I told Natalie when are doing this, I'm like, we, we're going to we still don't know your limits. Mm-hmm. It's a question mark, we're going into this, this might be your limit, it might not, turns out right. this wasn't your limit. Mm-hmm. So where is that line and mm-hmm. that the desire to answer that question of how tough am I, how mentally tough am I, what can I accomplish, whatever mm-hmm. that question mark is, but mm-hmm. that's how you answer that question. Right. This is something that you and I talked about on I think our first episode as we were leading up up to Tour Divide was Mm -hmm. your own personal relationship with how far and how hard you can push yourself. Again, this is a question mark. Mm -hmm. So as we're talking about it, what have you learned about your own boundaries, and, and and yeah, where is that line for you? What what have you learned? I know you've learned some stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> you totally. haven't found your boundary completely <laughs> yet, but right. I know you've pushed it further than you have previously for sure.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that that's um, what I've been trying to do in in these reflections that I've been sharing um, throughout these hard efforts was um, was recognizing that boundary and like and not pushing myself past it. Um, and, and realizing that there's no justification for, for doing so. And I think it ties into um, what almost every endurance athlete says is that the, the goal is always to be able to finish. And so if you approach something and you start to feel that limit, then you figure out how to pull back so that you know that at least you can you can finish the, the race that you're doing. Um, because... I even like, even in small efforts, like I have a friend and I won't say their name because Mm -hmm. then, you know, they know who they are. But um, I have a friend who even on like um, a normal hills ride, um, especially if you're around other people, they will push themselves so hard climbing a hill that at the top of that hill, they got to like yak. Um, and I, and you know, it has to do with heart rate. It has to do with effort, right? Like, I don't know that I can physically push myself to the point of like needing to throw up at the top of the hill. Um, and I don't know if that's like something that I have limited out of myself or if that's just, um, like I, I, have never been able to push myself so hard on a bike that, that that has happened. And I used to get kind of upset with myself about it because I was like, man, like, what does that say about me? Like, am I not able to work that hard? Um, and I think it truly is just like a, a difference in just like mindset, right? Is that I, I stop myself before that happens. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the endurance thing, like I said, because your, your interest is more in, in finishing whatever you're doing instead of pushing so hard and going so hard that then you have to stop. Like maybe you did your fastest and best effort, effort all the way up until then you can no longer continue. Um, so I think it is just like a different school of thought. Um, and I, I, I think everybody has their different strengths. And maybe it's that I can go forever and ever just at a slower pace um, than other folks who can, can push themselves to that absolute limit where they have to stop.
0: Speaking of absolute limits and absolute units... Ariel.
2: ooh. The man himself.
0: (laughs) A a cameo? Yeah. A cameo from Ariel.
2: You wanna come say hi? Here he comes.
0: Here he comes. Ariel, how was the, uh, what was it? The Wednesday ramble or something?
2: It's The
5: Cycle East midweek, midday ramble.
0: Led by Ariel here at Cycle East?
5: Yeah, usually Emily, but she's taking a holiday today. I told her not to come into work and to have fun riding her bike. didn't
2: you just have fun riding your bike
5: yeah but she wanted to do a lot more miles and it's hot so i said let her have them you know yeah it was a good ride good group lots of fun how many of those of those do we have left a lot (laughs) a A lot lot forever and ever until i told them like we'll do them until they show up one day and i'm not there (laughs) (laughs) i said until then We'll keep doing
2: it. and then even when you're not there they can still go ride their bikes. I
5: hope so. The routes are on the internet.
0: You've already They're showed there. them the path the, the routes happy. are there any you this is accessible anytime the people have the power. Ariel, we're talking about Hannah today and her accomplishment my on favorite the subject CTR <laughs> mine too she I, she's uh, become my number one guest more episodes than anyone else. she's dominating the bike bikes Dude, or death, the bikes are
5: death triple Crown champion
0: more than that we'll have to come up with a new word what do you think about her uh her or uh triple crown colorado trail
5: oh i think it's nuts I i can't believe she still has more to do <laughs> um but it's really cool to see and it's uh i don't know it's great to like when when she gets back and she sits down and like has a breath and talks about kind of the experience it's really cool to like Kind of see where your friend's at in those places. Like, you're just watching a dot, but to know where, like, she's been and what she went through is really cool. Because I will never do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're doing 475 with me in a couple weeks, maybe.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe not. (laughs) I'm going to do it, but, (laughs) you know. I wasn't race. I won't be racing. <laughs> I won't be racing either. Yeah. We'll be. Slow, we'll baby. just.
0: We'll have like mandatory hug breaks every like hundred miles or something. Hug and cry breaks just to make it through. I don't. Uh, I don't pretend to be as tough as Hannah, and I don't even uh, want to try to be as tough as Hannah. Well, maybe I would like to try it. I don't know. Definitely <laughs> not there right now. I'm still taking a baby goal. steps. A I'm still. I'm still on her. Uh, she used the East Texas showdown, so. I've done the lowdown. I've done the showdown. I'm about to do the Central Texas Showdown. So maybe after three, I'll be ready for what Arkansas High Country's next. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it's the, the, the bikepacking pipeline.
0: Yeah, it's the gateway drug to yeah. the Triple Crown. Yeah. The hard thing is getting the time off. I and mean, we've talked about right. this. Is, I mean, that is the huge, I mean... Okay, mm-hmm. that's not the only thing. Doing it is also super <laughs> <Yeah>. hard. <laughs> right, right. right, right. Uh, but the first step is figuring out how to take the time off. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: Absolutely.
0: I forgot what we were talking about. Do you remember what we were talking about?
2: Um we had said something about pushing your limits and uh, Oh yeah, or not where you, you were can, at with your, yeah.
0: your pushing your own limits. Yeah.
2: How how I can't push myself all the way to the edge, I think because I just have this in the back of my mind of like save some because you got, you got a lot left.
0: Yeah. I, you yeah. And it'll, I am sure that line will move as mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I can push it a little bit more here. And the more mm-hmm. you like learn your body and learn where you can push and where you need to hold back, I'm sure is just simply an educational process that like is going to be different for everybody. What have you learned uh, so far through these two efforts that you think will help you and prepare you better going into the AZT, whether from planning or for training or just mental endurance? Like, what do you think you've learned about yourself? How do you think you've grown as a bike pack racer, um, so far?
2: Yeah. Um, I'd say there's probably, so, I mean, physically, um, the the cool thing about the Triple Crown is that it's one of the best ways you can prepare yourself for the next race is by doing the one right before yeah. it. You know, like I have built a lot of confidence um, on the bike because of how much time I spent out on Tour Divide and um, just how challenging um, and technical Colorado Trail is. Um, I think I built yeah a lot of confidence in just completing those two races. Um, it's it's nice to have the like two out of three done for that reason. Mm. Um and I think I mean leading into Arizona, it's definitely the most daunting one because it's kind of a mix of both, right? It's, it's longer than Colorado trail. Um, it's, it's technical, like, like the trail is it's, but it's, it's shorter than tour divide. And, um,
0: But you carry your bike for 26 miles. <laughs>
2: yeah. But then there's the Grand Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, there are a couple of votes of confidence because of what I've already accomplished, but there is also some of that, um, hesitation because just cause I I did the other two doesn't mean that this one's gonna gonna pan out yeah um, so you haven't
0: already checked the box just automatically yeah exactly. you still gotta go out there and yeah fucking do it there's
2: still 800 miles of really rough terrain um, yeah or 775 of it and then 26 miles of um, hiking um, so and I guess I should clarify for folks who don't know the Arizona trail 800 goes through the grand Canyon um, and grand Canyon is national parkland and it's protected. So you're not allowed to let your tires touch the ground while you're actually traversing the Canyon. So you have to carry your bike on your back um, in order to get through it. Um, So, (laughs) so that, that requires like having a pack that you can strap your bike to um, so you can get down across and up. Um, and then you've got 75 miles after that. If you're, if you're going South to North, you've got 75 miles left.
0: What a cool, wild, fun race challenge, whatever. It's awesome. I love it.
2: We're talking about type two fun, man. That is, I, and I, the people I've talked to who have done it, they've said that it's been like, Alexandra said, it's like probably the hardest thing that she's done, which means a lot to me because she's done a lot of really hard things. Um, and she's done it twice and she said, um, you know, it's, it's the type of thing that is just, it's like heinous enough that, um, everyone you talk to is like, that's ridiculous. Why would you ever do that? And it's the exact type of challenge that us maniacs love because then we're like, oh, man, that is stupid, but it's part of this event. And somebody said we had to do it. So now we're going to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Have you started? Do you have a backpack to mm-hmm. carry your bike on? Have you started training with hiking with that on? How are you preparing mm-hmm. for that?
2: Yeah. So I did. I, I picked one out based off of recommendations, both from Alexander and from Lael. Um, it's a 24 liter Osprey um, Cirrus uh, pack, so it's actually got like a um, hard, sh- uh, not shell. What's the word I'm looking like for? A oh, back, frame. A uh,
0: frame, yeah. Mm-hmm,
2: yeah, so it's a it's a f- their smallest framed pack, um, and I. I reached out, when I reached out to Lail, she pointed me to Dusty, he, um, or Dustin, he works for um, Revelate Designs, and he was kind enough to kind of give me pointers, because he had altered that pack, or a version of that pack for Lail, and then a friend of mine the other day was like, oh, well, have you thought about reaching out to Hanson? Um, Hanson Little, he runs um, (laughs) Dark Realm, and so... I was like, oh man, I didn't think about it. until right now. So when I reached out to Hanson yesterday, uh, I was like, Hey, we're kind of kind of a tight timeline. Like the race starts in a month. Um, but would you be interested in adding some extra straps and, um, sewing some things onto an Osprey pack for me, um, for the Arizona trail? Um, and he's the best ever. So he was like, yes, of course. Um, I've got 9 million things going on in my life, but I would love to help you. Um, Hashtag even though it's a lot of pressure
0: pro pro athlete. Yeah. Now this is rolling out the red carpet. <laughs> (laughs)
2: man, but I, I mean, I'm so, so grateful. This community is awesome. That's what it
0: really comes down to. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's what I, you know, that's what reassured me in, in reaching out and asking him, I was like, I know, first of all, I trust that he would tell me no, if he really couldn't do it. And secondly, I know that it sounds like something he would be really excited to do. Um, so we're just starting that process right now. Um, And I, I'm pretty confident. One of the things that Dusty said to me that I thought was really kind was he was like, you've already done such crazy things, even this year on your bike. Like don't fret too much about this experience. He's done it himself Mm -hmm. personally too. And that was really nice. It's kind of like hearing Ezra say that, you know, what you're doing is crazy Um, because it's reassuring. It's validating, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, you're like, okay, good. I'm not the only one, (laughs) this is actually hard. Yes, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, do me a favor, because mm-hmm. I'm—I uh, haven't really—I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but I'm mm-hmm. going to do a bikes or death group start of the AZT in the spring. I'm going to do a oh. IZ uh, an ITT group start. I already got permission from John Schilling. He said Sweet. it was great. Um, but I'm going to do it, and I just want some friends out there. Mm-hmm. I'm only doing the first 300, though. <laughs> so when you
4: mm-hmm. when
0: you uh, do it, pay yes. attention to the first 300, and then okay. I'm going to ask you questions, and then we'll <laughs> just ignore the notes. last. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to give it a, a... It's been on like my bucket list for a long time mm-hmm. and um, and I can take a, off five days or six days or something to do like the 300. Um, mm-hmm. So that will be cool. Uh, are we going to get a chance mm-hmm. to do a live episode here after the ACT here being at Cycle East? Um, because what I would love to do... I don't, I don't know if I talked to you about this or mm-hmm. Ariel about this or both of y'all about this, but yeah. what I'd love to do is do an, a live event here at cycle East, uh, a live podcast. I should say, have people come, we can all celebrate your accomplishment, um, or at least what you attempted to do. <laughs> I, I'm feeling confident that you're going to finish. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And get other people to ask their questions and, and come and party with us. Yeah. Do you think we'll be able to do that?
2: Oh yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, well that at that point, cause, uh, The race starts on October 19th, um, and I hope it doesn't take me a month to do it. Um, (laughs) That that would be something. Um, I don't know. I don't know how long yet. I think the record's in that, like, 9 or 10 days, so it'll probably be 10 or 11 for me. Um, And then I'll be back in town, and, yeah, I would absolutely love to do do that. Um, It would be cool. Like, the live podcast we did before was really fun, and I think that that was great for people. And so I think it would be a fun way to to celebrate something that has is generally pretty anticlimactic <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah yeah for closing, sure yeah uh, experience they really
0: are it's just like yeah. they just happen in a mm-hmm. vacuum and it gets an article on bikepacking or radivist, and I might bike, you know but it's like and then it's just gone yeah it's like the hardest fucking thing ever and then mm-hmm. it's just like poof
4: yeah what's on next, the next thing. what's yeah. next
0: exactly. yeah well we'll take a second to pause mm-hmm. for years at least and, uh-huh. I, and honestly I wish we could do it for everybody I wish there was yeah. more I wish there was more of this, but I'm only one person.
2: Maybe we can invite them.
0: Maybe we should invite some people. Hey, there's a lot of Triple Crowners this year. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have good ideas. You have good ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I had different questions this time. I didn't focus as much on the Colorado Trail. Mm -hmm. I did two episodes previously about Mm -hmm. the Colorado Trail. And so I decided since this is, we keep doing these, I was like, I'm going to ask some different questions today. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: uh, Was there anything else that I missed that you like, I guess, wanted to touch on?
2: Mm. Not anything that comes to mind directly. A lot. I said a lot of the things about Colorado Trail that I yeah. that I had thought about saying. I will say, um, it, it it has been interesting knowing that we're doing this series and then being out there and thinking to myself, like, Oh, I'm going to say that to Patrick. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, you know, bikes your death is going to hear about that. Um, which has been really fun for me too. And I, I wanted to thank you um, for kind of facilitating that for me because like, this is something I'll get to keep forever. Mm-hmm. Like I'll get to go back and listen to these podcasts and what I've done the last couple of times is on my way back from the thing. Um, I listened to the podcast that we recorded before it. Um, which I don't normally do. Typically, I do not listen to the podcasts I'm in, Mm. Um, but it it has helped with um, just kind of Frame of reference for what we'll talk about next, um, what we've already talked about that I try not to say again. Because um, <laughs> again, I'm like, I can't believe anybody wants to listen to me talk for this amount of time. <laughs> so try same, to come, yeah.
0: same. They keep <laughs> turning on the radio. I don't know why, but right. here we are. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So I'm like, come up with some new things to say. Um, but yeah, it's been really nice to, to have this reflection time um, and be really intentional about um, thinking about these things and how they happen and and looking uh, forward to the next ones so uh, yeah. yeah just thank you.
0: Oh I thank you I mm-hmm. think you know I've been excited from the beginning because I think well I, I've never seen where someone just follows their their journey that's mm-hmm. like win lose or fail like we said from the beginning you're going to take the audience along for the ride mm-hmm. um, and we didn't know how we we're going to turn out which is very vulnerable speaking about vulnerability mm-hmm. and and so I appreciate it it's been really interesting for me and I hope that like I hope that what we're doing is helping other people maybe feel more comfortable with their own ability to approach something like this. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, yeah, we're telling your story, but hopefully like people are like, oh, maybe I, they could see themselves doing that and, and getting their own inspiration, you know? And it's those ripple effects that go out that are, mm-hmm. are really cool. I, uh, I had another thought for you and I yes. wish I thought about this prior to doing this. Mm-hmm. But since you said that, And I know you're racing and that's, this isn't the top of your priority, but like if you ever have those thoughts and want to turn on your voice memo Mm -hmm. on your phone and just record them, Mm -hmm. um, I think it would be really cool to like insert like little clips like, you know, of different sections. And it, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be 15 minutes. It can just be like, Mm I don't know, it could be whatever, you know, but if you have those that come to mind and even if you just want to capture them so you can remember them later, Mm -hmm. I think that would be really cool. And I'd, I'd find a way to use them if you let me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, Hilarious, You know, you said that I have good ideas Mm -hmm. because I've been doing that. And I have them. (laughs) You have them. I have them, yeah. Which is so funny. I just thought to myself, I was like, oh, I I forgot to mention that to Patrick like before we did this podcast. But um, just because I I had the same thought and especially because I have the perspective of like, oh, I'm going to record a podcast after this. There are a couple of them that I have that um, would probably be great little inserts in there. Um, yeah, Yeah, so I'll have to, I can listen to them. I'll send them to you for sure. And if there's a way to incorporate them even in this definitely, this one
0: definitely um,
2: or maybe you know when we record the live one I'm sure there'll be some things from tour divide that'll be helpful to
0: yeah to throw
2: in there but yeah I do I have I have some please <laughs> please
0: send them to me yeah. I've I've approached some other people with this idea but the problem mm-hmm. is that I'm doing it post yeah and so because I'm saying it post like uh, I won't call anyone out but I've talked to some other people about hey they have all these audio files but they weren't recorded mm-hmm. for me per se they were just like just voice memos and so it's that's super vulnerable to just send somebody like me that you don't know that well like all these really personal Mm -hmm. um things which i totally get so to the degree you feel comfortable but yeah yeah, like um i would absolutely use them we can either insert them in or we could just like do a little thing at the end like a you know like a you know thoughts from hannah section (laughs) a little montage of, of clips but i think that as i you know you know, do this and go along as a podcaster. I'm like, how can I be more immersive? Like, mm-hmm. how how can we help tell the story better? Because that's the ultimate goal. And mm-hmm. I think being able to include some clips is just a kind of a no brainer way. So obviously, you,
2: yeah, good yeah. ideas,
0: great minds think alike.
2: Yes, nice. All
0: right. Well, uh, give them hell out there at AZT. I'm Thanks. I'm excited for you. I'm proud of you. I think it's it's been just awesome to watch you. I don't know. I mean, we've all, like, Ariel has mm-hmm. watched and everybody mm-hmm. in Cycle East and everybody that knows you. Like, you uh, You got into bike pack racing a little bit in East Texas Showdown. And mm-hmm. um, it's just been fun to watch you grow and go on this journey. And again, thanks for taking us along for the ride. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite parts when y'all were talking earlier about, like, me coming back into the shop. I've had a few people in the last week or so come in and they said, oh, I haven't seen you since your big adventure. And I'm like, um... Are you talking about Tour divide, or are you talking about Colorado? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: so yeah, just uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate yeah big
0: it. adventures, uh, adventures,
2: yeah, um, totally. Yeah.
0: Speaking of just like blowing, you know, blowing past them, it's like no, there was two. Yeah. I remember them; they yeah, both happened. They both happened. There's podcast out there that you can listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Hannah. Well, we'll let you go back to work, I awesome. guess. Huh? Yeah. The day's not done. This no. is just part of being a uh, ultra endurance superstar <laughs> athlete. <you know?
3: laughs>
2: Running a bike shop too. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Who's not yet sponsored. That's what it is. Yeah,
2: that's a, really what it is. A, yeah.
0: a endurance athlete that's not sponsored. Mm-hmm. You got to work your seven to seven. You've got to mm-hmm. do media and you've got to train. It's yeah. a full-time gig.
2: It's
3: true.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Hannah. Good luck on the next one. Thank you. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. And of course, a special shout out goes to Hannah Simon for not only coming on to today's episode, but to uh, be willing to take us along on this journey. Again, I am uh, always grateful that she is willing to uh, share with us her candid view, her candid experience, and to the, to the degree possible, take us along as uh, she takes on bikepacking's greatest challenge. At the end of the episode, uh, you heard us talk about some audio files. Well, good news. If you've made it this far, I've got an Easter egg for you. Hannah sent me a few audio files and I'm going to play them for you now. But before I send them, let me tell you what you're going to hear. The first two audio files come from the Colorado Trail Race. One of them she just recorded. One of them she sent to a friend of hers and she let me share it on this episode. And then the third one is actually from Tour Divide, uh, but it's a really heartfelt an important message and actually all of them are important and I really love these audio files because they take you into that moment into that moment with Hannah in a way that I can't as a podcast or even maybe days after talking to somebody. Um, so I really like this idea and I hope that, um, not only can we get some audio files like this from Hannah, uh, in the future, but maybe some other from other guests as well, because I think this adds a little something special I really enjoyed this and I hope you do too. So here is Hannah on the Colorado trail. Followed by a clip of Hannah on the Tour to Bide.
3: <clears throat> just <coughs> got over Cookham Pass, <clears throat> which was beautiful, but again, just like relentless. Um, yeah, this terrain, man. Uh, Colorado's got a lot of rocks. They don't need any more rocks here. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'm about to go climb over another really big mountain, Um, hopefully before it gets dark. There's a little storm of brewing, but it's over where I just was, so I'm hoping that it doesn't make it over to me. Um, I'm currently climbing up the hill behind Mount Princeton, and the clouds are putting on a show. It's quite thundery. But, um, this is the section that I rode to Buena Vista, so familiar with it, been really helpful to be familiar with some of the things. Um, shit is hard, I'm not, not having a good time, I'm like trying to channel your positive energy, and uh, it's working some of the time, but not really. Um, yeah, just like exhausted, depleted, malnourished. Um, it's also like really dangerous to descend mountains when you're like delirious. So, I try my best to not like throw myself off a mountain unintentionally or intentionally, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Not really any good things to report. <clears throat> but still going. Cuz that's what we do. Just keep battling. Just need to take this moment right now and say remember this. Remember this beautiful fucking road with this beautiful mountain view. Remember how warm the sun feels. And how happy you are that you could literally cry because of this view. I want you to remember this moment when it's really, really gross outside and everything you own is wet and you don't know what else to do. I want you to know that these moments are going to come too. That it's all worth it. (laughs) So, so grateful to live this life.
0: Wow. 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 Good, good stuff from Hannah. And again, I am just so grateful to her for her uh, candor and her vulnerability and allowing uh, me to share some more intimate moments with y'all. All All right. Well, next week, uh, you might've heard on today's episode, I teased it. Next week, I'm talking with Jay Pettervery and I'm very excited to talk to him. I wish it was under better circumstances. He was hit by a car as he was riding the great divide mountain bike route on a uh, recent project that he was on. Uh, it's something he would work towards for a long time. He had a custom bike built for it and, uh, it ended in the way that you never want a bike ride to end. And that's by being hit by a motorist. So I am excited to talk to Jay. I'm excited to check in with him and hear his story. And that episode with Jay Petterbury is next week. Until then, you know what to do. Don't forget, go ride your damn bike.
1: It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever. Was it your imagination, or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke, stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, death.